Good afternoon. Oh, sorry, Blaine. Good afternoon. It's Office Hours with Blaine Bartlett and David Melter. BlaineBartlett.com, the bubble bee in the place to be here. And uh, we have hundreds of these episodes, but I tell you, we get some guests that are so aligned uh, with what we want to be. And Dutch Mendenhall is one of those people, a CEO of Rad Diversified. Welcome to Office Hours, Dutch. Man, good. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. They got the AC blasting in here, so I'm gonna throw on a sweatshirt. But <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were putting a logo on here. So <laughs> I'm in Chicago, so I still have my jacket on and prop uh, to Wisconsin, where I'm gonna visit my daughter. But you know, there's a thermostat. Speaking of the AC, and uh, thermostats apply to a lot of different things that are important in our lives. And one of those that I had to figure out was the thermostat of my own finance that uh, we don't realize the ceilings, the basements, ironically, the shackles that we put on ourselves because money is energy. Energy is perceptive. And we put this thermostat that, Oh my goodness, I'm making too much. I'm going to have to reset the thermostat back to where I was, or I don't have enough and I'll reset it back up. You wrote a book, money shackles, the breakout guide to the alternative investing and redefining the American dream, the rad that you are the CEO of, uh, how is this thermostat established and can it be seen as shackles instead of a thermostat? Oh man, there's a lot to be wrapped up in that. Right. So, you know, we all have money temperature, right? There's, there's a certain level that every single day of our life, that is like what we live on. Right. There's our income and there's our expenses, there's our lifestyle middle right and so our income has a certain temperature certain thermostat our, our expenses has a certain thermostat our lifestyle does right and so with each of those you can turn the dial that's a great analogy that you, you had by the way david and so with each of those you, you turn the dial right you can turn the lifestyle you know amount maybe down a little bit you can turn the income up a little bit you can turn the expenses down a little bit so you know it, it, one of the big things is like how do you control each of those variables right there's certain fixed things that are, you know, people have a difficult time changing, like your mortgage or your rent, right? It's a difficult, it's going to be a pretty static number every single month. But, you know, what, what do you spend on food or what do you not spend on food? Or what do you spend on education? Or what do you spend on, you know, lifestyle gambling or, or, or socializing, right? You know, it just depends on, on each individual person. You know, I tell a lot of people as your income thermostat goes up, if you did not change your expense thermostat, then, then you'll start having a lot more money available right for investments you have a lot more money available to do things in the future if you don't control that what you're really doing is you're stealing from yourself later in life everything that you don't put to work now is, is stuff that you're stealing from yourself later in life and so you know but go ahead yeah I, I'm, uh, I, like I, it. I, I like to tell my kids i'm just stealing from your inheritance so keep on spending kids it's your own money you just don't realize it <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that there's a lot of truth to that I have my kids all the time. I, I have them breaking down money, right? Putting it into categories. They're seven and eight. And so, you know, every time they get money, it's, it's they're going to put some to invest. They're going to take some and uh, give it back to the house, right? Us as a family. And then they're going to tithe, right? Um, give, right? A certain portion of that. And then what's left over, they get to spend the rest. Like Jack, Shaquille O'Neal said it best. Like when he took a $100 bill and he's like ripping it in half. And he's like, well, you're going to your money and it's going to go here and then what's what's left you know that's what you get to go play with so yeah the, the idea you guys of are froze on camera are you <laughs> hearing me 
Yeah, we heard you. Yeah, yeah we heard you there, David. Or Dutch, I'm sorry. And heard David, too. Um, oh, good. Yeah, you guys yeah. froze for yeah. a minute. Go What's ahead, that? Blaine. Yeah, go ahead. Froze for just a minute, but go ahead, Blaine. Okay, that, that idea of a comfort zone, which is essentially what we're looking at when we're looking at the, 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 the notion of, a, of a, a thermostat. In my experience, most people you know, will look at external circumstances as the reason that they have that experience of whatever money they have coming in and going out. It's kind of what's going on out there kind of controls what it is that I experience. And if I'm correct in the way that you're looking at this, the shackle is an internal context. It's well, there's, there's both, right? But you yeah. can't necessarily you can't necessarily control the external shackle, right? Right. I mean, American society is built into a shackle system, right? They, they <laughs> go to school, get debt, buy a house, get debt, buy a car, get debt. That is a guilty thing. Like there's there's a whole shackle to that, right? The whole university system. Go get get go get a job is a shackle, right? And that's what that's what Americans are trained to do is go get a job. You're told over and over, go get a job, right? And and then probably as kids, a lot of us were told that as well. And that that's a part of the shackled system. And what what a freedom system is is freedom, right? How am I going to be free? How am I going to control my destiny? How am I going to take my life to where my life needs to be? How am I in charge of that? Well, you can't necessarily control the external system, right? You can't control the system that, that has shackled many Americans. So all the only thing you can control is the action steps that you take as a human being. If you allow, and there's so many people that that stuff beats them up. That stuff like creates them more. Like I have so many people right now. Well, what about this election, right? If I make investments right now, you know, if, if is, is Trump going to overthrow the government? Is Biden going to take down our economic system, right? They all have their different political agendas, right? In different ways. But the reality is, is all we can do I can't control what's happening in Washington. No matter how much I would love to change what they do, you as an investor cannot control those things. All you can do is control you. And, and, and so the, 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 the shackled is about you being able to take control and, 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 and realize that, that you can unlock those chains through, our, through the system that exists. It's like so many people, they go to school, and when you go to school, you're almost instantly put into a, 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 a class system, Right where you can go step by step. You got to go get that first job. You're, you're a beginner and then you're going to get a little bit of experience and now you're a little bit more level and then you become a mid-level person and then you become this person and literally you're being put into it like almost a socialistic class system, right? With, with how jobs work and stuff, but they make it feel like it's freedom and capitalism. Well, freedom and capitalism is running and controlling your own life. Freedom and capitalism is running and controlling your money. And, and so there's some differences with, within that. And so what shackle is is about the breaking of that right and and if you're able to do that you you can achieve freedom and when you achieve freedom now you can do whatever you want to do yeah you're on mute david it's my first time interviewing sorry um and when we are redefining uh our own american dream this is the perceived value of you know what freedom is and you know the American dream I was born into was the American dream of buying stuff you don't need to impress people you don't like. That's the <laughs> clearest way I can define it. Um, yeah. It's a broken, it's a broken thing, which is why I went broke. Um, but more importantly, I redefined the American dream to something different. What are some of the key values? If we're going to teach and empower our kids, our families, what should we be dreaming for? 
instead of buying things we don't need to impress people we don't like. No, I agree. I mean, step number one is you got to decide what is your American dream. My American dream might be different than yours, and which might be different than the next, the next person. So the reality is you, you must define it. Like an exercise I did, I was valeting at a restaurant on New Year's Eve, and it was drizzling rain, and I was cold. You know, and I had had my college degree. I was coaching baseball at a, at a university, but I was valeting because I, did, I needed money. I needed to be able to make money, and I was like, what is this like? And, and one of those early steps that I did, I wrote down everything that my life currently was. And it felt like a ghost of who I knew I should be. And I needed to step into who I should be, but I didn't even know who I should be. I didn't know who that person was. I didn't, I didn't, have, I didn't have an idea of what it was. And so I took the time to rewrite down everything, right, that I wanted to be. Here's the life I wanted to be. Here's the kind of woman I wanted to marry. Here's how the kind of father I wanted to be. Here's the kind of business leader I wanted to be. Here's the kind of entrepreneur I want to be. Now, let's stop that for a second, thinking... As I grew up, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. My dad had the roller coaster entrepreneur life, but my dad was also an addict. And so like so some of those things, I, I, I didn't. So was my mom. So I didn't want to do those things. But I'm sitting here writing down what my American dream is. And suddenly it was, you know, I want, to, I want a business that impacts people. I want a business that, that where people have given up financial hope, financial. I want a business that makes that different. I hadn't even had a business before. I hadn't even made any money yet. I, I had no idea, right? But it began to write that down. I, I, I talked about the kind of woman I wanted to marry, right? I, the kind of supportive partner in life I wanted to have, right? And I fast forward my life five years later, every single one of those things within those lists is achieved. I had met the woman that I would very, very soon after that marry. If you look at five years, I was 25, so it's just about 30, right? Um, I had my own business. It was impacting entrepreneurs. It was impacting real estate investors. It was impacting other people's lives. Now, was I had I achieved my full marriage dream? No, I wasn't a dad yet. I hadn't become a dad yet. I wasn't allowing my kids to have a legacy, a financial literacy that I never had growing up, right? I mean, I had my own, my first car repossessed at 18, right? And so, you know, I, I know that that, that broken part of America. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, the American dream is your individual dream. And, and, and you have to write it down. That is what the American dream is. It's not the, the traditional American dream where you have to do what society says. What Americans have is freedom to build their own life, to have their own life. And anything that interferes with an American building their own life is something that I don't believe in, right? Whether it's politics or something else, like we should have rights to go and build. And, and, and I believe society and our government should enable right, people to be able to go and build, build the life that, that they choose here, here in America. Amen. Uh, that dream needs to be readjusted with our own personal experiential giving and receiving values but guidance and asking for help is a key to all that and that's why people like dutch mendenhall are so important to us to help us own each of us redefine our american dream but also more importantly dutch instead of just telling people uh what i love about what you do mentoring coaching and teaching them giving them the tools to unleash the shackles freedom, option, opportunities, and touches of favor. That's what the American dream is all about. Understanding what it is for you and having the tools to get there are essential. If you haven't read the book, you certainly must and unleash those shackles. Dutch, promise us you'll come back on. Thank you for everything you're doing to help people make more money, help more people themselves, and have more fun. Thanks, David. Thanks, Blaine. You bet, Thank you. You take care. That's awesome. All right, we'll bring our next friend on, uh, Blaine. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully, I can't see, but Lauren? there we go. Yeah. Lauren is here. 
Lauren awesome. Welcome, Lauren, to Office Hours. Thank you. Nice to meet you, David. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for being here because we're going to talk about a critical business issue that a lot of companies are facing today. Uh, Lauren is the CEO of Next Level Benefits. And uh, how do we keep our employees? How do we keep them engaged? How do we keep them productive with such a quick change in an historically stable environment of uh, a workplace? And I want to start there. How do we uh, take our companies through incentives to the next level? Yeah, such a great question. That's why I started the company. <laughs> um, you know, ultimately, you know, it's it's there's no one answer. But what I will say is the thing that I'm finding through the work that I do, as well as just the experiences I've had, you know, making sure that people are paid well and that they get great benefits is one piece of the puzzle. But the biggest piece of the puzzle is, you know, just kind of removing roadblocks for people. There's so many people who enter an organization with an expectation of, you know, they want to add value. They want to do great work. They want to contribute. Um, and, you know, things get in their way, whether that be, you know, a leader that's not necessarily ready to be a leader, or maybe it's, um, you know, systems that are antiquated or processes that are broken. Um, and it, it it makes them jaded very quickly. And so I think as um, as a business owner, as an executive leader, as you know, any sort of um, you know anyone with an organization that has the authority to make changes and to execute those changes, um, you know, I I always recommend that you know you you start looking at the processes that people are spending the most time on and find ways to improve those. And the more that you kind of show support to your employees, remove those roadblocks for them while also paying them well and providing great benefits, you, you can kind of unlock um, and, and master, um, you know, the issue of turnover. Yeah, you know, I, I love where you're, you're positioning this, uh, Lauren. I've got a question for you. Again, in 40 years of working in large systems with you know, a myriad of HR interactions uh, as an external consultant coming in, um, the vast majority, and I do mean the vast majority of HR you know, departments or functions in an organization seem to almost exclusively uh, organize around compliance, compensation, those sorts of things. The, there's a few of them that stand out that were actually seen as strategic partners mm -hmm. uh, to the uh, running and the health and well-being and ultimately the thriving of the organization. How does your work with your clients actually you know, allow them to position what they do as a strategic addition, not as just a, a cost center you know, compliance? We need to check the boxes and pay attention to this. Yeah, no, great question. You know, there are still a lot of teams out there that are focused more on administration and compliance than anything else. Mm -hmm. And that is going to cause problems. <laughs> that is not going to allow employees to want to stay, to thrive, to to grow. Um, and so, you know, some of the work that we do, you know, after being in a corporate 
environment for 20 years myself, I decided to kind of start my own thing. And, you know, everyone on my team, I mean, we are all focused on, you know, leveraging our past experiences and imparting what we've learned and the knowledge that we've experienced onto our clients. And so, you know, any opportunity that we have to help to explain the strategic side of HR and why that's so important and why it is really what's going to be the differentiator between yourselves and another organization. Yeah. You know, when HR is done right, you have an opportunity to create a culture of just really anything you want it to look like, you know, you can really like really put roots in the ground um, around what you stand for as a company and an organization. And that is what HR is should be used for. And so that's what we spend a lot of our time is really helping HR teams as well as business owners to understand the true meaning and importance of a human resources professional and how they can add value. Love that answer. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and adding adding value is a perception that is difficult to match today. And everyone wants to have their own personal values aligned with their professional attributes, skills, knowledge, and aspirations. I and Blaine, we talk about this all the time that engagement, I think, is at an all-time low, which also means productivity is at an all-time low. And I think we're getting away with it because uh, outsource capability and AI capability is an all-time high. And I don't think that the old geezers out there running the company really realize how efficient their employees are. And there's this, uh, you heard about the great resignation. I, I believe there's the great con going on right now with the majority of the employees are not engaged, but they're utilizing outsource as well as technology in order to effectuate a higher level of productivity than when they were engaged. Uh, but as Blaine and I both know, energetically, if you're not engaged, the engagement dissipates, dissolves, and eventually disappears, and then you're unhappy, and then you leave. How can we solve uh, this problem of engagement because of the efficiencies of being able to do so much in so little time? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think I don't think we have the answers yet. What's great is we're in the midst of it, right? So, you know, we can try things and see what works. But AI is like, I mean, it's here and it's going to keep evolving faster and faster year over year. I think that what employers are missing is that they don't necessarily take an active look at their workforce structure and what that strategy looks like. You know, you might have four or five people doing the exact same thing, but because of technology advancing over the last, you know, four to five years, maybe you only need two you know, to really kind of create, um, you know, a, a function that's operational, but also leveraging outsourcing and AI in a way that is productive and effective. Um, and I don't think that, you know, employers look enough at workforce strategy on a regular basis. And now that technology is moving faster than it ever has, that is something that's important to be doing on an annual basis. If you, um, you know, fill up the plate of your employee with, with meaningful work, with, with, with not just tasks, but also, you know, opportunities for growth and projects and an ability to be heard and, and contribute um, their voice to certain projects and, and the direction of a company, um, you're going to see that the engagement goes up and they're going to be able to get more work done um, leveraging technology, but they're also not necessarily going to feel like they're put in a box. 
And so I, I think workforce strategy is, is a key here is, you know, really evaluating what that organizational structure looks like, you know, because, you know, the, the five accountants that we needed five years ago, we might only need one or two now, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, it's the way things are evolving. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate to see because some people will get left behind. But I do think that it is the key to keeping people engaged and successful is finding new ways to add um, meaning to their work. And that's the quantified value that you provide. And we need people to help strategize because it's amazing. The decisions that you help make companies make are true quantitative value. Uh, You can earn more money and save even more money. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's why people call you at uh, nlbenefits.com, Next Level Benefits. Check it out. If you want to make more money, help more people, and, of course, have more fun, just another great expert to call on, Lauren Winans. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. Thank you so much, David. Thanks, Blaine. Take (laughs) care. Great job. We'll have you You back. Thank you. All right, rocking and rolling. I'm flying blind here in Chicago. It's a beautiful day with beautiful people. And uh, not quite sure that our last guest is here or not, but Mickey Kennedy is. There we go. Hey, there Uh, we go. Talk about experts. We got the PR ninja himself is joining us here today. And PR, just like HR, has dramatically changed over the years and the social silos that exist and the differentiators and how to build a brand and effectuate what that brand should look like. Media and press releases are one of the areas that definitely have changed because of the perpetual nature and the amplification that can be utilized that wasn't necessarily there in the traditional PR sense. Uh, Mickey, first of all, thank you, of course, for joining us. Sure. We appreciate that. How has the press release itself changed uh, from the old PR Newswire days? Um, I think that, uh, you know, the addition of uh, video um, and and uh, photos and things like that have changed. Um, I also think that the type of photos that uh, the media wants has changed. Uh, it used to be everything had to look like it was, uh, you know, uh, done in a studio and I, I think that because so many people are engaging with articles online, um, you know, a lot of the media are finding that the uh, more casual uh, type of photos work better, you know, rather than a shot of your product on velvet and under perfect light, it's better to have it, you know, actually being used by a customer or something like that. The idea of a press release, particularly with a smaller business, um, because, you know, again, this is kind of the migration, I think, of, of the press release idea. Typically, in my experience, it was large organizations that would send out a press release and, you know, drum roll and fanfare and all that kind of stuff. You know, you got the Hollywood studios sending you know, press releases out. How does a small business actually leverage the beneficial potential of utilizing press releases as part of their actual go-to-market strategy. Right. I, I think the real key is to look at the types of press releases everyone else is doing and don't do those. Uh, <laughs> don't do the typical, you know, new hire press release. You know, don't do a product launch press release that is just, we have a new product and here's a list of features. And, uh, you know, y- you really have to sort of 
I call it sort of reverse engineer the press release by looking at what the journalist wants and recognize that the journalist is a gatekeeper. They're protecting their biggest asset, which is their audience. And they have to make the determination of whether this is going to inform uh, and educate uh, their audience or delight them or entertain them and, you know, where you fall in there. And so, you know, a good example with the product launch press releases, you know, Put a story in there. You know, you, you beta tested it. You had people use the product. What was one of their uh, experience? You know, uh, what were the results that they saw? Have a quote by them. So in addition, you know, rather than just have a list of features, have a story there. Journalists love a story arc. And if you can, you know, integrate elements of that in your press release, you have a, a much higher likelihood of getting picked up. And Mickey, one of the things I love about your strategy and you kind of founded the e-release is... I have been teaching over the years uh, Shakespeare, and you're a poet yourself, so you may adhere or align with the Shakespearean stage theory that I believe, as you know, uh, Shakespeare said, the whole world is your stage. Well, a press release is actually uh, an actor on that stage. If we mm -hmm. capture the press release uh, or this e-release, uh, we can modify it. Uh, we can amplify it and perpetuate it. Uh, so that the whole world, the 7.6 billion people or so that are available, a total dressal community that only Shakespeare uh, deemed to be a reality thousands of years ago is now an actual reality. Uh, what are some of the key capabilities of an e-release and do you align it with Shakespeare and that stage theory of amplification and perpetuation? Yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, everything is possible with, with PR and promotion. Um, it's just, you know, having to be thoughtful and creative. And I think that that's where being a poet, I come at it with, a, you know, a different set of skills. I find it easy to brainstorm with clients and come up with like non-traditional types of press releases they should consider. And I also notice patterns. Um, I have one client uh, that does uh, surveys and they represent like, you know, many dozens of uh, niche verticals. And they started doing a survey for each one of those. And uh, they've been doing it for like five years now. And they're known as the survey guys. And every time they do it, they get between eight and 14 uh, articles. We call them earned media um, uh, things that happen for each press release. And you can replicate that yourself. I mean, uh, the, the media loves data. They love numbers. Ask captivating questions. Put it together in a survey monkey. Take that link. And then go approach some smaller independent trade associations in your industry and ask if they'll send it to their members. Stay away from the large ones because they don't cooperate. They don't want to share. Uh, but the small independent ones never get any immediate attention. And if you approach them and say, hey, I'm doing a press release that's going to go over the wire. And uh, I'd love to mention you. Could you send this out to your members? They often will. Look at the results. What were the surprises? Focus on two or three of the questions. Build out a press release. Put a quote in there as you as the expert analyzing why you think the numbers skewed a particular way and send it out. Every time you know I coach clients through that, they do between eight and 14 articles on average. The least I've ever seen is four. And there are PR firms that will charge people twenty to $40,000 a year and guarantee no media pickup. And I, I guarantee if you do that one type of press release, you will get pickup. That's an amazing piece of advice. That's why we go to the experts 
And if you want to understand different strategies of how we can create that type of buzz, awareness, conversion, it's always the releases that free press, the ereleases.com. Check out Mickey Kennedy. He's been around long enough to learn the secrets. If you do something long enough and you learn to love it like he has, it will tell you all its secrets. I definitely want to go back and capture that secret, something that we're not even doing. So I appreciate the free lesson that you've given everyone. Learn more about ereleases at www.ereleases.com. Mickey Kennedy, come back and join us. We appreciate all your great advice. Oh, definitely. Thanks, Mickey. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Sure. Right on. <clears throat> all right, Mr. Double B, Blaine Bartlett, BlaineBartlett.com. What's your takeaway of the day? Uh, I'm going to organize it around meaning today. I mean, I, I, I'm boring in this regard. I mean, I'm, always, <laughs> I'm just kind of like this. This always lands for me. If, if we look at the American dream, it's not the American dream. It's my American dream. What's meaningful to me? Yeah, which is you know what we were looking at with Dutch and then with Lauren with EHR. Yeah, employee engagement. Yeah, meaningful work. Yeah, how do you keep people? And, and from a strategic positioning perspective, if HR can actually design processes, procedures, and structures that make it accessible, meaningful work accessible, you know, you're, you're running with gold here. And then the PR, I mean, I, I loved uh, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, just, you know, leading with a story, you know, kind of don't, yeah, you know, what's meaningful to me is not going to be meaningful to the audience. So I want to find a way in my in my marketing through a PR free media to actually find out and tap into that meaning dynamic. I love that. And for me, my takeaway is how applicable is what we did yesterday to what has changed today, the time, emotion, value that has changed today. And because of the acceleration of change, change is always omnipresent, obviously, but the amount of change and the speed in which things change creates a huge opportunity, mm -hmm. a differentiator in the market for those that are looking to see what have we done yesterday that we now have learned that can be applied to these changes and the flexibility of being able to move quickly and to go against the traditional way of employment, the traditional way of press releases, and even the traditional way of the American dream and yeah. better we're off and the better differentiator appreciation of value and differences we all will share in. I love sharing my time with Blaine Bartlett. That's compassionate capitalism right behind him. Go to BlaineBartlett.com. He's one of the greatest business and mindset coaches in the world. And I am, that's an understatement. I'm blessed to have him and consider him my friend as well. Thank you so much, Blaine. I'll see you next week. Okay, my friend. Love you. Have a Love great you. time in Chicago. I will. I got the amazing Mia Meltzer with me. Rolling Stones featured her with her amazing company, Muse, and uh, what she's doing. Thank you, Blaine, for joining me. Uh, Mikey, you could drop Blaine. Thank you. There we go. All right. We're in Chicago. We are about 45 minutes away from a meetup at 3.30 at the Waldorf Hotel. So if you're at the last minute downtown Chicago, come and join us. Remember... Uh, we will be at SoFi next Tuesday. I'll be in Madison this weekend as well. Wisconsin, SoFi on Tuesday. Then we'll be in Las Vegas Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Meetups, VIP dinners, and then Orange County uh, VIP dinner on the 13th as well. Email me, david at dmelter.com if you'd like to join me. Remember, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self. 
and do good deeds. We'll see you soon. Have a great day.